Well, my name is Jason Heath. I'm one of the pastors here at Kingwood Church, and I have the privilege of delivering a message here to you today. We're going to be talking in the, through our sermon series, Everyday Prayer, and that's found this morning in Psalm chapter 62. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, you can turn with me this morning to Psalm chapter 62. That's where our scripture will be found today. I do want to give you a brief testimony of our youth. They just got back from what we call Beach Freak. It's our uh, summer trip for our kids, our summer camp, uh, where they go and be immersed in God's Spirit and in the Word of God through small groups and teachings. And I want to let you know that 11 churches came this year, over 500 kids. Our church took over 100 kids, and from our church alone, six kids accepted Jesus in a relationship with Jesus and were baptized while they were still there at Beach Freak. And so that's an awesome praise report this morning. It's one of the reasons that we do summer camps here at Kingwood Church, so that we can lead people to Christ. And it's just an awesome, awesome ministry that Pastor Jeremy has going there with our youth. Today, like I said, I've chosen Psalm 62 this morning. And it's a psalm of faith. It's a psalm that the psalmist is proclaiming a prayer of faith. By the way, that's what the Psalms is. It's a book of prayer. It's a psalm that proclaims, uh, whether you're in here this morning like you, you proclaim faith in God, or maybe you're watching online today, you've proclaimed faith in God. The psalmist is proclaiming that faith in God this morning. However, the psalmist also, as Brady said so eloquently earlier, our worship leader this morning, he said, in the Psalms, you find this. You find people turning and praising God, but then on the other hand, they look around them, they're going, look, this doesn't make sense. What's happening around me does not make sense. What's going on around me in my world does not make sense. My faith is in God, but people are attacking me. They're trying to pull me down. They're beating me up. They're saying bad things about me, but God, my faith is in you. I praise you. And that's where we find this psalmist today. I want to pose a question this morning. Why doesn't God do something about it? Why doesn't God do something about the turmoil going on around us in our own lives? I want to answer that question today by saying He has done something. He is doing something. And He will do something about it. Let's read Psalm 62, verse 1 through 6 today. I wait quietly before God for my victory comes from Him. I want you to say that with me this morning. Can you say my victory? Ready? My victory. My victory comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress where I'll never be shaken. And here's where the psalmist gets into what's going on in his life. He says, so many enemies against one man, all of them trying to kill me. To them, I'm just a broken down wall or a tottering fence. They plan to topple me from my high position. They delight in telling lies about me. They praise me to my face. But they curse me in their hearts. Let all that I am wait quietly upon the Lord. For He is my hope. And it's in Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress where I shall not be shaken. My hope is in Him. That's what the psalmist says this morning. He says, my hope is in here. The type of hope 
that the psalmist is talking about is not a natural hope. A natural hope says, well, I hope things work out for, for the best. I hope this happens or I hope that happens. But the psalmist here is proclaiming today, my hope. It's a, a certain expectation. It's, it's, it's a confident expectation that the Lord has, is, and will move on their behalf. Does anyone here today hate waiting? The psalmist says, I wait upon the Lord. Look, it's all I can do sometimes. I, I enjoy cooking and in the evenings, I'll get home, and it's, just, it just, it's a place where I find not much stress. I pull all of the stuff out of the fridge, and I begin to prepare. But usually when I start preparing food, it's like too late. Everybody's hungry. I'm hungry. My stomach's growling, and everybody's ready to eat. And I turn the water on the boil, and if I'm cooking rice or eggs or something in, in the water, I just can't wait until that water starts to boil. Does anybody feel what I'm saying today? What about warming stuff up in the microwave? I'll put a cup of coffee in there that's gotten a, a little bit lukewarm, and I'll put it in, I'll turn it on, and it gets down to about five seconds left. I'm going, man, I can't take it anymore. I'll stop it before it gets to zero. I hate waiting. Man, I remember a few years back here in the Birmingham metro area, I was glad I lived in, in Louisiana during this season because the traffic on I-65, if you think it's bad now, wind it back 10 years ago before we had four lanes on each side. It was awful. You would come from downtown Birmingham trying to get to South Shelby County. You'd be an hour and a half on the interstate just sitting and waiting and sitting and waiting my father worked in Summerton, and he would leave from Montevallo, headed to Summerton before the sun got up in the morning, and he would get home and the sun would be down because he sat in traffic waiting. You know, recently I took a trip to Dallas, and I flew there and flew back. It took me 25 hours of waiting in the airport to get home. I was like, Lord, I could have driven from Dallas for the amount of time that I sat in this airport. So I get frustrated. I'm going, tired of waiting. So they said, look, we can transfer you to a flight. You'll go into Houston. You'll get the next flight out, and you'll end up in Birmingham. So I was like, let's do it. I get to Houston. Flight delayed, flight delayed, flight delayed, flight delayed. You're going to have to spend the night in Houston. And in the morning, you're going to have to fly back to Dallas, where you started from. <laughs> After sleeping two hours get on the flight, I get to Dallas. I have to wait till 8 o'clock that night before I can get out. 25 hours waiting in the airport to get home. Waiting. You're praying. You're believing. You're waiting. God, why don't you do something about it? He has. He is. And He will do something about it. But God, my finances... They're so challenging right now. I don't understand. I've prayed to you over and over and over again. Change my situation. Change the circumstances around me. I've got to get control of this, Lord. Why don't you do something about it, Lord? My health is declining. My family's health is declining. God, I need you to do something about it. Lord, my relationships. God, they're, they're on the rocks. I don't know what to do. I don't know who to turn to. I don't know what to say anymore, God. I've begged and I've pleaded. God, why don't you do something? Maybe this morning you're 
waiting on a prodigal to come home. You've been praying for years. My son or my daughter, come home. Come back to the Lord. God, you've got to do something. Why don't you do something? Maybe you're waiting on a job change. You go in every single day, and it's the most miserable eight to ten hours of your life. God, change this situation. I can't take it anymore. I feel like I have enemies on every single side of me. They talk about me behind my back. They, they, they're in, their heart, in their mouth, they say good things, but in their heart, they want to kill me. God, why don't you change things? Maybe you're waiting on somebody to come to Christ. You've been praying for them for years. God, you've got to change their life. You've got to do something, Lord. This morning, I want to remind you three ways or three things that you can remember with the Lord when you're in a season of waiting. A season of waiting is never a season wasted. Amen? A season of waiting is never wasted. Number one, the Lord has been faithful. That's past tense, right? The Lord has been faithful. And I want you to think about all the things that God has done in your life as we're, we're talking about this morning. The Lord has been faithful. In John chapter 11, we find Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus at their home. Jesus had visited their home many times. He was a very good friend of Lazarus. And as he's visiting, as he's visited their home, he's left and he's gone out to minister. And Mary and Martha find out something tragic has happened in their life. Lazarus has been, been found ill. He's got a sickness. And his sickness is not just a sickness that is going to, he's going to get over. His sickness is going to lead unto death. And they know this. The doctors have told them, Lazarus is going to die. Mary and Martha come up with a brilliant idea. Go get Jesus. We've seen him in his ministry. We know what he's able to do. We believe that he's the Messiah. We've discerned that. He's fulfilled scripture. Go get Jesus. He'll know exactly what to do. And so they send word for Jesus. And in John chapter 11, verse 1 and verse 3, this is the story. It says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. I can hear Mary and Martha now. Don't worry. He'll be here. He's coming. Man, it's the end of the service. Jesus is coming. I'm going down and I'm going to pray. In Jesus' name, things are about to change. And Mary and Martha start looking at their life, their, their, their clock, hour after hour goes by. He's coming. He's coming. Wait, I don't get it. He's not coming. He's not going to be here. What do you mean? Lazarus is about to die. He's coming. Jesus doesn't come. Lord, I've listened to Caleb every day this week. I've tuned it in. Man, Pastor Jay had an awesome quote. I even tweeted it this week. Lord, I, I did it. God, I've worked in Kingwood Kids with those little two-year-olds. You know the sacrifice that I've made for you, Lord. <laughs> those of you are laughing the hardest because you know. <laughs> Lord, won't you come? Are you coming? John eleven four. 4, we continue the story. When Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness 
will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Hey, we know Jesus is coming. But Mary and Martha didn't know Jesus was coming. Listen, many delays are not divine delays. But it's just that God's not doing it yet. Not yet. God often wants to do something in you before He does something for you. Come on, ask ask the Lord that this morning. Lord, what are you trying to do in me? I see a lot of stuff going on around me, and I don't understand. But Lord, let me turn to you. Let me turn my praise to you. Let me turn my questions to you. Lord, what are you wanting to do in me this morning? Just because you don't see something happening doesn't mean that God is not working. With God, a waiting season is never a wasted season. John chapter 11, verse 17 The story's coming to a close. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. The King James Version said that he stinketh. Come on, that's Greek for pewee. It's awful. It was a a pungent smell. Lazarus was dead four days. No hope. We all know how the story ends. Lazarus was resurrected from the dead, but this was a foreshadowing of Jesus' own resurrection from the dead. That Jesus had the power to defeat death. The Lord has the power even over death. He's the resurrection and the life. Look, if you've lost a loved one, don't lose hope. I lost five last year. Don't lose hope. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And if you put your hope in Him, you can even overcome death. God, He's my salvation. He's my rock. He's my refuge. He's my hope. He's the one that I put trust into. I confidently expect that we will be resurrected with the Lord. The Lord has been faithful. The Lord is faithful. If anyone deserved an answered prayer, it was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a hideous unbeliever. But he was also a person that when people saw Paul coming after he was saved, they didn't want to see Paul coming. The devils tried to run and hide. He wrote half of the New Testament, all of the letters to the church where he lived on a ship for 20 years selling all over Europe to spread the gospel. If anybody deserved answered prayer, it was Paul. He paid the price. He was imprisoned. He was beaten five times with a whip. He was shipwrecked. He was snake-bitten. He was put in jail. He was stoned and left for dead. If anybody, Lord, if you want to answer anybody's prayer, answer the prayers of Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church in his second letter. He says, Even though I have received such wonderful revelations about God, so too keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. The word there for 
thorn is scolops. It means a stake or a dagger, and it's actually referring to a physical ailment. Who knows what it was, a migraine. Maybe it was anxiety or depression or a speech impediment. Maybe it was a problem with sight, or, or maybe it wasn't physical. Maybe it was an opposition or a temptation. Maybe you're here today and you're dealing with arthritis, nonstop headaches, sleep anxiety and issues, addiction. Maybe it's not that. Maybe you're dealing with reliable transportation. God, I need you to move on my behalf. I can't even get to work to work. I need you, Lord. God, why don't you move, change things, change something? Help me, God. And then the Apostle Paul turns to prayer. You know what prayer reminds us of? That we're not in control. But it draws us close to the one that's in control. Lord, you're in control. I don't have all the answers. The psalmist said, I see my world crumbling around me, Lord, but I turn to you. And I say, God, you're my hope. You're my salvation and you're the one I trust. 2 Corinthians 12, 8, it says that three times I begged the Lord. Has anybody ever begged the Lord? Come on, you ever begged the Lord? You ever got down and just said, God, I beg you, do something, change something. Lord, move on my behalf. Look, that doesn't mean that Paul prayed three times. Look, Paul went through three seasons of prayer and temptation and begging God, interceding for his life to change. Some of you, your parents, and you have ch- children who you need God to move on their behalf. Some of you today may be facing a chronic illness. Maybe you're facing cancer today and you need God to move on your, half, on your behalf. Paul, please, God, Paul says, please, God, take this away. And listen to what the Lord says in verse 9. In 12, 9, he says, each time he said, the Lord said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. Heal me, Lord. Change my circumstances. Relieve the pain. Fix the problem. I'm all you need. My grace is all you need. Come on, look at me. I'm God. I'm the one you need. Don't focus on what's going on around. This is temporary. It passes the way. Remember, I'm the resurrection and the life. This goes away. I live forever. Focus on me, not the circumstance. He says, my grace is enough. Grace is not just for the forgiveness of sins. Grace is God reaching deep into our lives and drawing near to us and Him saying, I'm enough. I got you. Come on. Come on. Just get right here and touch me. I got you. I need you to touch me. I need you to press in. Don't lose faith because I'm faithful to you. I'll be faithful to the end. Don't lose hope. I'm right here. Come on. Just lift your hand up. God, this is what I need. This is the timeline that I need it on. This is how fast I need it. Lord, I need you to move in my life. No, I'm what you need. I'm what you need. Thirdly, this morning, I want to remind you that the Lord will be faithful. In Acts chapter 12, 
the brother of John, is James. James was one of the apostles. He was son of Zebedee. He is over the church at Jerusalem. He's one of the pastors in the church at Jerusalem. And great persecution broke out against the church. And as James was pastoring there, Herod Agrippa had him arrested. He takes him to jail and all the Jews are pleading with him, you got to do away with James. He's, he's leading people astray. He's the pastor of this church at, at Jerusalem. we got to crush this and end it. They end up executing James. The Romans executed James. A few days later, we read in Acts chapter 12 that Peter was arrested as well. They're trying to crush the rebellion, but God delivered Peter miraculously from prison. I've got a question for you today. Was God faithful to one and not the other? James died for his faith, but Peter was miraculously released. Was God more faithful to one than the other? Corey Ten Boone lived her life in Nazi concentration camps during World War II. After her release, she wrote a book and she invited her captor into her home, the guard that beat her every single day. And she said, I got to tell you something. I forgive you. I forgive you for what you did to me. I forgive you for the many times that you came and you tortured my family. You see, Corey's sister was in that concentration camp, and her sister ended up dying. But Corey's story went on to touch so many lives. I got a question for you again. Was God faithful to one and not the other? Was God faithful to Corey but not her sister? That's a hard question to answer, but let me tell you this. Even if you die, there's hope. Come on, even if you die, there's hope. Paul said, I'm already dead. Every day I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I'm not worried about what's going on around me. My eyes aren't focused on that, but I'm focused on Him. I'm focused on His mission. I'm focused on His purpose. I'm focused on becoming all God wants me to be. I don't care what everybody else does. I'm for Him. There's one thing guaranteed in this life. You're going to die. I'm going to die. And I say that to encourage you today, not to bring discouragement to your life. He is God of the miraculous that can heal you. Yes, I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen people get up off of hospital beds. I've seen dead people come back to life. I've seen the miraculous. I can tell you story after story, testimony after testimony of how God heals. God can release you from prison. He'll rescue you in your time of need. But he's also the one that overcame the grave. He has always been faithful. He is faithful, and he will be faithful. Polycarp was the pastor of the church at Smyrna. He was the disciple of John, who wrote John the Gospel, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. John has been exiled to the Isle of Patmos. 
under this extreme persecution that's coming against the church. And they said, look, if we can just get John and get him away to quit encouraging people, we'll take a step forward. So they moved John to the Isle of Patmos. And while there, John receives a vision from the Lord. It's recorded in Revelation chapter 2, and he receives a vision about seven different churches. The church at Smyrna was one of those churches. That's Polycarp's church. Polycarp, again, was a disciple of John. And so John is writing about a vision he sees about the church at Smyrna. This is what he writes in Revelation 2, verse 10. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. You know, there's something unique about the Word of God. It does not disguise suffering. It does not put a beautiful mask painted over it and say that you will not go through stuff in life. It does not paint this picture of you will not suffer. Actually, it says you will suffer because you live in a fallen world. And Polycarp is, is, is hearing these words for John. And I wonder how they interpreted this. <laughs> Oh, great, John. Thank you for the encouraging word. We're going to continue to suffer. And actually, for 10 days, we're going to be thrown into prison and be tested. You know what that was? Christians were thrown into prison for 10 days. They were beaten every single day and asked to deny Christ. If they did deny Christ, they could be released and go home and go back to their families. But after 10 days, if they did not, if they kept the faith, then they had to die of execution. The Roman government put them, executed them. In Revelation chapter 2.10, the second part, it says, But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. If you remain faithful, I'll give you the crown of life. Two Greek words for crown in the New Testament. One is this, it's diadem. Most of you will remember the old song, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, royal, and crown him Lord of all. That's a royal crown. That's a crown that royalty receives. And let me tell you that Jesus is royalty. He's the king over all. He's, he's royalty. This is not the crown you're going to receive. This is the crown that Jesus wears. He's royal. The royal diadem. The crown of life, the word in Greek is Stephanos. It's the victor's crown. It's the crown for the victor that finishes the race. It's, it's a wreath that's woven and placed on the victor's head. And John writes in Revelation through Jesus' own words, If you remain faithful, you will receive the victor's crown. Revelation chapter 2.10. We're going to pull up verse 11 as I finish the story of Polycarp. Polycarp did not deny Christ. And after 10 days, the ruling came against him to be burned at the stake. Three historians record that Polycarp would not burn when placed at the stake. 
that he began to preach the gospel, and he preached and preached and preached until the Roman guards got so fed up with him preaching the gospel that they stabbed him with spears, and that's how he died, not by fire, but by spilling his blood. Word went all around the Roman Empire that Polycarp had shed blood for the gospel just like Jesus did. Polycarp is going to receive the victor's crown. I'm going to read 10 again and then 11. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life, the victor's crown. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he was saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious, everybody say, my victory. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. This is the crown that Paul talked about in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Listen to Paul's words. Paul said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, the Stephanos, awaits me. The Lord himself, the righteous judge, will give it to me. On that day, come on, if anybody needed it, Paul deserved it. Well, what about us? And the prize is not just for me, but it's for you who eagerly look forward to his appearing. If you'll stand with me this morning, our worship team is going to come and they're going to lead us back in song today. And as they do, I want you to think about those words. I want you to think about the victory that you have in Jesus. That nothing in this life can bring destruction to you because He has overcome death, hell, and the grave. He is the resurrection and the life. Come on. He deserves some praise. He has been faithful. He is faithful, and He will be faithful. Psalm 62, verse 7. Let's go back to the psalm and finish up 7 and 8. My victory. Everybody say, my victory. victory. Come on, the victor's crown, the Stephanos. And honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people. Trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge. This morning, if you're watching online, you'll have a a moment of prayer in just a few minutes. If you're in the room today, in just a few minutes, we're going to pray as well. But I want you to internalize what God is saying to us today. Don't look at what's going on around you. Do what the psalmist does and pray the prayer like they're praying them. God, you're my fortress. You're my strength. You're my salvation. Oh yeah, by the way, I'm being crushed on every side. They're all trying to kill me. I feel like I'm being talked about behind my back. I can't get any relief, Lord. But you, oh God, are my victory. You're my hope. You're my salvation. We turn to the Lord.